Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. They know the ins and outs of everywhere we're going. They will protect you. Horses, run! And they just like, fuck. I was like, what? I feel like I got a great break on a used car. I, I, I thought that, was, that was a great, great quote. This is war, Marcus. Going to the bathroom. Are you in his house, you little psycho? Oh, get, the, get that out of there. Look, it's a giant womb. Yeah, no, no. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 150 plus episodes for your listening pleasure. Woo! What? Stop wooing. Stop. <laughs> That's, nobody likes the woos. Sorry, it's, nobody sorry. has ever come up to me and said, hey, when I listen to your podcast, really enjoy the woos from Butler. Nobody says that. So stop with the woos. Oh, sorry. I hurt your feelings. <laughs> what are we doing today? We're doing the Popeye. We're doing the Popeye. We're doing the Popeye. We're doing the Popeye. 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 Uh, Maybe your preparation failed. Google is always ready. I saw the IMDb wasn't good, so I just went right to you Google. You know, well, a lot of times, well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people in the business will double check and make sure that what they're going to say is ready to go. So why would they do that? Because uh, that that's called really being professional. That is called being, that is being really professional. Silly. That is why we will fail. What? All right, I'm going to start this one because the sentence makes me laugh at the beginning. Buff Sailor Man Popeye arrives at an awkward seaside town called Sweet Haven. There, he meets Wimpy, a hamburger-loving man, olive oil, the soon-to-be love of his life, and Bluto, a large, mean pirate who is out to make Sweet Haven pay for no good reason. Popeye also discovers his long-lost pappy in the middle of it all. So the band of his new friends, Popeye heads off to stop Bluto when his, he's got the power of spinach for Popeye to test Whoa. to this bust is, Bluto right in the mouth. Watch as Popeye is off the, rails. the floor with punks in a burger joint, stops a greedy taxman, Takes down a champion box and even stop. finds abandoned baby sweet pea. He's strong to the finish. Oh, God. Brother, this podcast is only an hour long. What are you doing? <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> oh, feel free to ignore that. Popeye has a runtime of 114 minutes. Feel free to ignore this episode. <laughs> right? That's not that's not fair. Rated PG. Production budget of $20 million. Release date was Friday, December 12th, 1980, which kind of surprised me. It was a, I guess, a holiday film. Mm -hmm. uh, opening weekend, it did $6.3 million, domestic 49.8, and worldwide $60 million. And I don't have the numbers, but uh, everything I read said that it did very well at the uh, Holmes video sales as well. And yes. it, is, is, it is considered now, Butler, to be a cult classic. So whatever vitriol you're going to throw at it, which I understand, 
it is still considered it is widely received by children because it's a children's movie is it widely though, received even though by they children? say even though you can hear you can hear robin Williams say shit in the end of the movie but yeah you like the first disney movie to ever allow it <laughs> <laughs> production company was paramount pictures which they shared it with walt disney productions and Robert Evans Productions, he is the producer on this, distributed by Paramount Pictures in North America and Buena Vista International Distribution in, in you know, internationally, which AKA is AKA the mouse, which is Disney. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, the mouse these days. Came out on the 12th of December, went up against in a wide release, Stir Crazy. That's the film with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Mm. Uh, okay. I didn't know if you were disagreeing with you there. No, I, okay, I, yeah, I like Stir yeah. Crazy. Uh, the, the following week, the 19th is the Friday, but the Wednesday, the 17th, you had any which way you can. And then on the 19th, in a limited release, you had 9 to 5, The Formula, A Change of Seasons, and Seems Like Old Times. So I think that's pretty much your holiday slate there a little bit. I don't think, I don't know if holiday films back in the 80s and uh, 70s, late 80s, early 80s, before the blockbusters, well, this is kind of in the middle of blockbusters, mm-hmm. if holiday films were really big. Yeah, if, if they were really, like how they are now. Like you would always get a Star Wars film around the holiday season. You know what I mean? Right, right. yeah. It's probably the start of like them figuring it all out. Maybe, yep. Uh, the 5th uh, of December, which is the week before, you had a limited release of Flash Gordon, which I kind of like, but I know, you know, that's another that's one. That's another cult cult classic. classic. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. This film was directed by Robert Altman. Do you know Robert Altman? Because I know, I don't know if we've ever had conversations about Altman. Uh, I know a couple of things he's done. I don't know a lot that he's done. It looks like he's very up or down in terms of his filmography. I've well, seen Gosford Park. Yes. Well, he was nominated for an Oscar for Gosford Park, mm-hmm. as well as MASH, the movie MASH, not the TV show. Nashville, The Player, and Shortcuts. All of those are films that he was nominated for Best Director. He never won, but he did win an honorary Oscar in 2006, actually the same year he passed away, which is pretty sad. But Robert Altman, I, it's, it, the movies that The Player is really good. Gosford Park is obviously really good. MASH, the original MASH is good, but his style is very much rooted in the script as a blueprint. You know, right. So I shouldn't say the script is a blueprint. That's not right. It's more that he, if you were going to not improvise, but if it, he, it, everything was in his head mostly. Right. So does that make sense? So yeah. if you came in with, you started ad libbing, you had, had a bunch of ideas, it might not fit with what he wants. And so it wouldn't be, might not be as acceptable. You know, he might not, it might, you might butt heads. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. This movie's written by Jules Pfeiffer. Who's done Little Murders, but uh, and he's worked on the. He's more known for uh, two things. One, he's a cartoonist for the Village Voice, and then I think after the war, after uh, World War Two, World War Two or Vietnam, I'm not sure. He worked on the Spirit comic strip with Will Eisner. Uh, cinematographer was Giuseppe Rotuno, who did who was nominated for an Oscar for All That Jazz. Uh, he also did Red Sonia and the Adventures of Baron Munchausen regarding Henry Wolf and the 1995 Sabrina. So a little bit of a lot of, lot of stuff going on there. Uh, there's no composer. But music and lyrics were Henry Nilsson. And he's got, if you go back, well, he's got a ton of credits. He's, uh, um, he's more of a musician. But, you know, the song uh, One from Magnolia uh, that uh, Amy Mann sings? Yeah. yeah that's his original okay. song. His, he, he wrote that and it's his song. He's also done Everybody's Talking from Midnight Cowboy, Jump Into the Fire that was in Goodfellas, Spaceman that was, it was in Contact. So you have heard his songs. You may not have heard his recordings of the songs, but you have heard his songs. Okay. Uh, edited by uh, two people, John W. Holmes and David A. Simons. Holmes has won a, nominated for an Oscar for the Dramatist Daring. He also edited a movie called Diamonds Are Forever, Butler. So a little James Bond uh, there for you. Ooh. I said Simons, but it's actually Simmons. Simmons uh, is an assistant editor at, um, and, and Justice for All, Krippendorf's Tribe and the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I laugh because Krippendorf's Tribe does not age well. 
<laughs> produced by Robert Evans. Like I said before, he was nominated for an Oscar for Chinatown. Uh, he also had produced Marathon Man, Black Sunday, and two movies that we did, but The Phantom and The Two Jakes. Ooh, I also didn't realize Harry Nilsson did the Gotta Get Up song yep. that plays in Russian Doll every time she gets up. Yep. Well, yeah. You can skip the second season. <laughs> you keep telling me. I got, I, I'll still watch it just to try it out. Robin Williams, in his first starring role, plays Popeye. He was he won an Oscar for Good Will Hunting. He was also nominated for Oscars in The Fisher King, Dead Poet Society, and Good Morning Vietnam. Shelley Duvall plays Olive Oil. She's in the from The Shining, Annie Hall, McCabe, and Mrs. Miller, and Home Fries. Ray Walston as Poop Deck Pappy. I think we should call you Poop Deck Pappy now. I think that should be your nickname for the show. Poop. I don't know why. So I'm gonna, I don't know why either. I just like I like that. I like Poop Deck Pappy. Poop Deck Pappy. <laughs> Walston's been in the apartment. The Sting, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Paint Your Wagon. Paul Dooley as Wimpy uh, from 16 Candles. He's the father in 16 Candles. He's also in Breaking Away, the 2007 Hairspray, and he plays Sarge in the Cars trilogy. Paul L. Smith as Bluto, from Maverick, the 1984 Dune, Midnight Express, and Red Sonja. Donald Moffat as the Taxman. You might remember him from The Thing or Clear and Present Danger, the old Potomac Two-Step. He's also in The Right Stuff and The Best of Times, which is an episode we did. Mm-hmm. Richard Libertini is Giesel, Fletch, All of Me, and Awakenings. He's one of the guys that stays with the oils, one of the, um, I guess, the tenants, because they run a bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. Roberta Maxwell is Nana Oil. She's from The Postman, the 1980 horror movie The Changeling, Brokeback Mountain, and Psycho 3. Donovan Scott is Castro Oil. I don't know if you remember him from Police Academy. He was the uh, the the officer, like the short, fat officer that was always getting in trouble, was always getting picked on. Uh, by the, but I think by oh. the uh, like the criminals and stuff like that. Oh, I vaguely recall. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah. He's also in 1941 and The Best of Times, another one. Mm-hmm. Then you had a couple, if you, if you knew who they were and you saw them, you were like, oh, they look really familiar. You had Linda Hunt, and it was in this movie. She plays Mrs. Oxhart. This is her first starring role. You had Dennis Franz as one of the toughs. Uh, he, he played, they give him a name, Spike, but like he's just one of the toughs. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. And then Bill Irwin, who plays Ham Gravy, which I'm pretty sure you're seeing the beginnings of Mr. Noodle from Sesame Street. I don't know if you're aware of that. Bill, <laughs> Bill Irwin played Mr. Noodle. One was one of the Noodle uh, uh, on the show. And I, was he before or after Michael Jeter? Was he after or before? I can't remember. I think he might have been after. Was he? I'm not positive. So as I if people have children out there, you might remember that. All right. So obviously this is based on... Oh, he was after. He was way Was he way yeah, after? He was yeah. After. He's obviously based on a comic. Um, and I kept, before we did this podcast, Butler was complaining. And I was trying to tell him it's a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie. But I understand his complaints and we'll get into them. I will say, before we get into anything, I will say that Butler, this was nominated for three Stinker Awards. I saw. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so. Before I, the Razzies. I was going to say, did the Stinkers become the Razzies or did the Stinkers die off and then the Razzies were born? I think. That the latter, yeah, yeah, because it's like the I understand, like, oh, you got a stinker award, I get that, but the name of the award show is the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards. That's the stupidest name, but anyways, so it was nominated for Worst Song, Which He Needs Me by Shelley Duvall, which won, <laughs> Worst Picture, which won, and Worst Actor was Robert Williams. He did not win, sorry, so he didn't win, but I think that's a little harsh because of all the songs in the movie, I actually don't mind, I think he, he Needs Me is better than of all the songs in the movie. I know you don't like it better than most of the songs in the movie. Obviously not the last, not the, the Popeye song, which they sing at the end, which is, which is cool to hear. Um, all right. So give me your, give me your thoughts. Give me your first impressions or however you want to go, wherever you want to start. Oh, it's not for kids. It is for kids. You didn't get it. It's not for kids because it's 
too slow. It's too boring. It's too weird. The very first 30, 40 minutes is garbage. Uh, it just doesn't go anywhere. Uh, let's start with the dubbing because okay. the dubbing was what I had the biggest problem with. Go ahead. The dubbing is, and they, they say they had to redub all of Robert Williams lines because he was doing his Popeye thing shtick, but with the pipe in his mouth and it just, they had to redub all. He his was mumbling. Yes. And he was ad libbing, which was a problem. But guess what? Like, I still don't understand half the shit he's saying. Like, it's well, just, it's very it's low. It's dubbed very low. It is dubbed very low. Yeah, very, it, very deep bassy. It yeah. doesn't even try to match lips. And the music is clearly dubbed over, and they very seldom try to like show you people singing the songs. Well, they, to the point they where were the, singing on set, though. But that's the thing. It's like to the point where at the beginning, until they sang in the diner, I didn't think that it was meant to have music. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if, uh, like, I was like, I haven't seen a single person sing. So was this not supposed to be a musical? And they changed it partly half the way through. No. Until the diner song. And then I saw people actually singing the song. And I was like, okay. But it took me a while to figure that out. And I think that's partly the cinematography, partly how it's shot. If you don't show me people singing, I'm not going to think they're singing. And that just really throws me off. So to answer that question, uh, yes, it was going to be a musical because this movie got greenlit because um, Paramount was in a bidding war to get Annie and they lost and they lost. And so they lost it. So then they had a huge meeting and Robert Evans base was in this meeting. He's like, okay, what we need, what, what IP do you own? Obviously not saying IP at the time, but what, yeah. what do you own that we can make into a musical? What are we going to do? And someone there was like, well, how about we got Popeye? And they're like, okay, fine, let's do that. So it was always going to be a musical right. because of the, of the loss of Annie. Right. So to, yes, it was going to be a musical. Now, but coming into it, I did not know it was a musical. Hey, but here's the thing, because you talk about on the podcast a lot of times, and I do too, how kids' movies are different back then than they are now. This is 40 years old. Sure, yeah, all the time. So trying to think about like a movie like Annie that they didn't get. Like Annie's obviously a classic. It's got great songs. Great right. songs. Um, so, but the the seriousness of Annie is still kind of similar to Popeye in terms of just, it doesn't pander to children, Yeah, but it's, it's basically like, well, we're not swearing. We're not saying anything bad. It's a, it's, you know what I mean? It's got a kid in it. Yeah. So, but still in Annie, they're trying to kill Annie at the end. (laughs) I mean, so I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't think you can definitely feel that when, when the, when the musicals are, the musical portions are happening, you feel like this is like, like it's a musical, but we don't really want it to be a musical. That's the thought I got. Yeah. yeah. It's very underwhelming in terms of the musical well, aspect. There's no big numbers. There's no, it, there's just, they're standalone songs. They're very much like Her- Nilsson stuff. It's, it's just very like acoustic, almost acoustic to the point. Yeah. They come out of nowhere. Some of them barely, yeah, like you said, barely have many notes to them. The lyrics are just pretty much the same. Like the whole point when she's talking about Bluto, like we, we were joking on she yeah. large, large, like she kept saying large, like, I I mean I I guess that's a style, but again I'm thinking like also this is this is 1980. We're talking come from the late 70s. This is what music is like back oh, then. Oh, I don't think because you have so many musicals from the 60s and stuff and the 50s and onward. I just don't think that. And it's like they make her sing off key. They make almost everyone sing off key. Well, which is a weird well, choice. Let me get well. to let me get to that. But before that, okay. to answer your question, Annie's coming from Broadway. Right. Like Annie's like Annie is a Broadway musical production that has songs that have giant arrangements. This is a movie that they're putting songs into. I understand that. So but you you want I mean? to compete with Annie. You want to no, have no, something. You want to make I'm, your Annie. I'm, so. I'm saying that th- I know I get that, but I'm saying that they don't have 
the luxury of working upon music that's been worked on for oh, I years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, that's where I'm saying, but you're right. It's, it feels very much, it's a, it's just a different style of musical that just doesn't work. Now, again, I say this, it's a kid's movie. It's a kid's movie. It clearly does work for kids because it's, it became pe- people still bought it when it was on home video and it was still popular. And I don't think it became like, popular with kids. I think it became popular with adults that like the weirdness of it and go, Heh, no one likes this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna like it. It, it. it became popular for its weirdness and its absurdness. Well, it is absurd. Like even when when everybody in the in Sweet Haven is just doing like because they're basically they went out and got European they got people from European circuses to come in and play the background to do all the weird stuff in the background. Right. There, there's just a bunch of weirds like Bill Irwin's doing like like I joke about how he's the Mister he's like discovering mr noodle but he is because there's like when they push him down oh, that's great i yeah, like some there's of that a stuff. lot of there's that a stuff. lot of like the cartoony stuff that is really really good but there's a lot of really boring odd just obscure stuff that you would only like if you like really strange french absurdist comedy or if you were in film school and you're watching something and it just uh, it doesn't always work and there's not enough to really grab your attention even for a 1970s or 80s kids film to grab a child's attention and keep it there because the beginning is so nothingness there's nothing to grab you at the beginning there's there's really nothing there well i think one of the reasons why it's gained a cult status is that is that absurdist type of feel to it that you're talking about because it's not and i'm gonna again i'm gonna go back to something that we always complain about is it doesn't look like anything else that's out there you know what i mean it doesn't fit into one single box it's not a generic studio uh everything looks good everything sounds good every you know what i mean it's dirty it's messy it's well i always talk about 70s films and i always i love the dirt of the 70s i love where nothing's perfect and, and you i think you can put that uh Say moniker onto onto Popeye. Now, I it, it there is stuff in there that is distracting. There is stuff like you talk about um, Duvall singing off key, um, but that's like if the comic is like that, like olive oil is like that. There's a lot of things in this movie that are pulled straight from the comic. Sure, but I don't want to hear her singing off key. I, I understand I that. You want so you want to sell albums, right? I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what they thought they were going to do after this. Clearly, I mean, now that it's getting a cult status, they put out the album four other times. But like, okay, you still want to sell even back then. You want to sell your merchandise. You want to sell your album on cassette or or nineteen eighty maybe still record. You want to sell all this. You want to sell your Popeye T shirts and your olive oil stuff. Why? Sure, she sings off key or she talks off key and all weird in her olive oil accent when she's talking. But why not sing a little bit more on key or something that kind of worked with her? Oh, like none of these songs are songs that I'm just going to be like, they're stuck in my head now because I'm making fun of them kind of. But going on, I'm just going to go back to singing, you know, if I was like more into Broadway music, singing Annie, the sun will come out tomorrow. Or like now we got the Disney movie singing a Disney movie song where it's a little different. It just doesn't. It doesn't match up. I mean, I get I think the main reason people buy this now and it's gained a cult status is definitely the set work. Oh, the and set's the look fantastic. Of the, film, the look of the film is phenomenal. I love the set. But the rest of it just kind of meh. But I, I will say that once Popeye kind of opens up more with the town, it does open up into more absurdist comedy where the cartoon stuff works. But that whole beginning, the first 35 minutes, 
it's a really rough watch. Uh, I mean, I guess. I don't know. I don't. Until Sweet Pea comes along. It's just kind of like, ooh. Yeah, Sweet Pea's just crammed in there. Sweet Pea is just like, hey, remember this baby from the cartoons? Let's put it in. Well, the original script had Eugene the Jeep in it, which was Popeye's uh, pet. Right. And Eugene's claim to fame was that he was prophetic. He could tell like that. And so he could, you know, pick the winners as, so as Sweet Pea. So Sweet they gave Pea, it to yeah. Sweet Pea because they brought him out. But, you know, could you imagine? It's almost, I wonder if you would look differently upon this film and maybe other people look differently on this film. If they just were like, you know what? If we're going to get absurd, let's get extreme. Let's go all the way. Bring the Jeep in it. Yeah. I wonder if, if they did that, would it have been viewed, viewed differently? Uh, Back then, because when it came out, it was like it was ripped. It, it, nobody liked, it, although Cisco and Abert liked it. But it was really it was ripped. And then as people go back and look at it, there's actually an appreciation that's growing from it. And uh, I think because maybe because it wasn't, it's because it's so different. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, like I say, fit into a form. I, but your your critique is accurate. You know, I can't argue with that. Right. I just think it's whether you it's I guess it's whether the sensibility of an audience member watching it, if they're OK with that or if they. I mean, I, I, if I showed my kids this, they wouldn't like it. You know what I mean? Sure. Be, just because of what they've already been exposed to the, the in terms of movies and kids shows and stuff like that. I think I mean, I was exposed to mostly 70s and 80s stuff as a sure, kid, and sure. I still think I don't think I would really. have gone back to this in the way that I liked Dick Tracy growing up. And it's the, the the movie, the movie. And there's a lot of that kind of strange, absurdist, like old school kind of stuff in Dick Tracy as well. And I don't think Popeye does enough of that. There are moments. There are moments in Popeye I do enjoy. There are moments that actually made me laugh and smile. But the overall. Ness of Popeye just just isn't quite there. It should have been more like the cartoon, which I get. I guess it's more like the comic strip than cartoon. From it's what more I read. like the comic strip. Yeah. But there's just not enough. Popeye's almost more of an observer, observe the observer in his own movie. Yeah. To a point. Well, and Dick Tracy is very vibrant with colors and it's very bright and it's very stylistic. So there's a lot of stuff going on in Dick Tracy movie, which we covered. So check that out in season, whatever. <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a lot of stuff to really dig into on Dick Tracy. If you're not, if you know, Oh my God, that looks great. Oh, I love the way that looked a lot of action. Popeye doesn't have a lot of that. Popeye is just almost as is. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a documentary style, but it is. It's very like Robert Altman is very, it's probably not a visual director in terms of tricks in the camera, like, like Warren Beatty did for Dick Tracy. Sure. It's, it's not like that. He's more like what's on screen, the character interactions and maybe a few setups here and there. Um, but you know, the, most of the money for this and the budget went to the set. Went to Sweetwater. Yeah. Yeah. Which the set looks oh, sweet. Haven. The set looks amazing. Um, which I guess the set is still around today. You can visit, which I was surprised to hear. Well, I didn't. So I didn't know too much about the backstory of the film. So I just assumed it was a lot. They built this up on a Paramount's lot. Right. Because I was like, they must have, that water must just be fake. Well, they must be a tank. It must be some kind of tank. And then they actually, you know, they went to Malta, the island of Malta. They built this entire thing. Yep. They actually built a 200 to 250 foot breakwater uh, to prevent the harbor from getting flood during like the high season, high water season. So, and it's still there and it's got a school, a church, you know, a cafeteria, like it's got all this stuff. Yep. It, it's like, it's a, and they, they, those ships that are in the Harbor are real ships that they bought and sunk 
and put yeah. them in there. Well, not only bought, but also rented in. Well, sunk? I think the rented ones were probably already had holes okay. in them. Yeah. There we go. Because I was wondering, yeah. like, you can rent no. boats and then sink them. So they basically get bought mad. it, sunk it, and they put it right in the harbor. <laughs> right. No, it's a great. It's almost like if you go to Malta, you should go check if it's still there. I don't even oh, know if it's absolutely. still there now. Is it still there now? I don't know how old that note was. Yeah. But it's called Popeye Town, <laughs> I guess. So that's it's fine. There, yeah. That's I mean, fine. It's it's a really cool set. I have a lot of admiration and respect for the set. It's probably the only thing that kept me going for that first 30 minutes. It was just like, oh my God, the amount of detail and money they put in this little thing. So I, I have a note on the set. So uh, it was a construction crew of 165 who worked seven months to construct, construct the set. Tree trunk logs were driven across European continent from the Netherlands and wood shingles were imported all the way from Canada. Eight tons of nails, 2,000 gallons of paint were used to complete the set. And when they finished, the fictional village of Sweethaven consisted of 19 buildings, including a hotel, a schoolhouse, a store, a post office, a church, and a tavern. So, yeah, that's insane. That's pretty wild. That's like, it looks like something like if you went down to Disney World and you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, that's what it looks like. The whole thing I was thinking was it looks like the comic strip park in Universal. Yeah. 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 I was like, that is crazy. Yeah. The, uh, I'm, I'm surprised that despite it's... This is despite like, you know, it's been 40 years and, you know, of Popeye. And always, everyone always remembers the, the Robin Williams of Popeye. I'm surprised that the set doesn't get much more love. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. When I think about Popeye, all I hear is how, yeah, this is the first time I ever actually saw it. Right. But all you hear of is Popeye, like that it starred Robin Williams. So I had seen this movie before and I think I saw it more than once because what I remember before I watched it again, I always remember the ending. So the dance, the song at the end, I always remember like the fighting of the octopus, all that stuff. I always remember Bluto swimming away yellow. I remember the fight with uh, Oxheart with the guy and he knocks him over. And I always remember this thing going down. Okay. Yep. I always remember that. Uh, and then I always kind of remember when Wimpy steals the baby for Bluto, but that's it. I never kind of, I didn't know. I didn't remember too much about the opening and, and, and that whole throw. I was not a big fan of Wimpy in this movie only no, because he's he, kind of a dick. He is. He is. My note for Wimpy was that he's, um where's my note where is it oh uh, that he's not trustworthy he's a gambler he's a moocher and he's a louse and he basically sells the baby for a sack of burgers now i know that's supposed to be funny but it's like wimpy's the bad person here yeah like he is not good wimpy in the comics or maybe i don't know about the comics wimpy in the cartoon would do anything he could to get a burger and was you know would cut a lie and steal burgers would Gladly pay you cheeseburger for a hamburger today. Well, gladly but pay you was, Tuesday. Uh, what did I say? Cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. But like he would never. He was always Popeye's friend. He would never steal sweet pea, right? And steal steal the blue dough. That's that's not the wimpy that at least I know from the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, you're funny. You're funny when yeah. you said. Uh, you know, Wimpy would do anything for a burger. I was like, how about get a job? <laughs> no, anything but get a job. Yeah. So, so, and th that leads me to my next point. So there's Wimpy. And then there's a moment when Wimpy takes Sweepy to, to gamble on the horses, which was funny because they're just the, the, the metal. Oh, the yeah. metal. Yeah. She takes him to gamble on the horses. And then Popeye's going there with the oil family to stop him. Uh, and the oil family and everyone else to stop him. He goes there. Never mind the fact that this is a brothel in the PG movie. We'll get past that. <laughs> goes there and he gets the baby and they walk out. But then Olive is like, oh, but wait a minute. He can pick the winners. He can pick the winners. And all of a sudden, Olive takes Sweet Pea and they start gambling. And it, it, couple that with the fact that the whole time you first meet Olive, she's a brat. She's a big time oh, brat. Yep. And 
there's so I don't understand. There's never a moment it, where I see like that. I believe that Popeye would fall in love with olive oil because she has never apologized for the way she is. No, it all it comes out of nowhere. It comes just out of the taking care of sweet food in the conversation. Well, if you see when he's in that scene when he grabs sweet and he does the "I am what I am" yep. uh, song. I he, am what I am. Whatever. <laughs> when he takes sweet and he's singing and he's walking out. They never show Olive Oil's reaction, but if you watch her body language when you're behind her, she's doing the thing where she's like, oh, and she's putting her arms up. And she's like, oh, like she's in love with him, like she's falling in love. It's like you're the one he's pulling him from. So I mean, I'm glad Altman didn't turn around and show me what she's doing because I could tell what she was doing. But, right. But you're the one that he is. He's pulling Sweet Pea away from you and your family because you want to use Sweet Pea as a gambling tool. Right. And you're falling in love with him because of that? Because, oh, he stood up to me. He wants to be, well, that's the thing is like everyone's all about money for, and like she wants to use the money to save her family because she got taxed to death, like they're going to lose their house. Right. But he says, and this is one of the lines I really like, wrong is wrong, even if it helps you. Mm -hmm. And like, that's one of the parts where like I started to like the film a little bit, like, there we go. Now we're getting into Popeye. Now the film is more focused on Popeye. He's such, he takes it and takes it and takes it until this moment in the film. I just need, it comes too late where Popeye suddenly becomes the main character and takes charge in his own film. And once that happens, I'm like, okay. And that's where I, I start to warm up to the movie a little bit. Although it still has a lot of problems. I, I still like, all right, now it's a Popeye movie. Well, Pop- before it was kind of like Sweet Haven, the movie. Well, Popeye is the only character in this movie. Well, maybe Bluto, but Popeye is the only character in this movie that stays true throughout, like in terms of stays true to who he is throughout. He doesn't change. Yes. Uh, the, even the, the whole town of Sweet Haven don't it treats Popeye like a jerk. Yeah. And he comes down to attend the engagement party. And no one wants to talk to him after he after he beat up those toughs in the bar because they were causing trouble with everybody. Nobody says thanks for that. Yep. They, you know, they all don't want to talk to the huge jerks to him even though he jumps into the ring to defend castor oil and, and fight uh oxheart yep they're still jerks to him and then he pushes the tax man and all of a sudden like yeah it's like i don't believe for a second that you're friends with him because something else could happen you could just be like oh puppy exactly yeah. yeah it took all that to make you actually kind of like this yeah guy. there's really a level of like you talked about the absurdist notion of the entire people of sweet haven there's really there's no explanation to the shift and when in terms of their how they feel about Popeye, even and then when they shift, you don't buy it that it would stay that way. Right. It really is just like really, really strange that the whole thing, the relationship. And when they team up, it's like they're all cowards. No one wants to do anything. And then Sweet Pea and Olive Oil get kidnapped by Bluto. And then they all go with. Popeye and the commissioner, the Commodore, the Commodore rather. Yeah. Uh, the Commodore who's been taxing this whole time to try I, to steal the treasure. The whole thing with him. poop deck Pappy and being the Commodore, I completely forgot about. And it just didn't make any sense. It, j- it was just a way to say like, Oh, he's the dead. Yeah. Like, why are you taxing this entire town? Why are you putting this entire town in, in making just, Putting them all in the poorhouse. The only way to live, survive is money. It's only to be mean. Yeah, but but you're getting the money and you're living on this like boat that's half sinking. Because he doesn't want the money. He just wants to be mean. Yeah. He wants uh, people to stay away from him. But so yeah, it yeah. just kind of does comes out of nowhere. And then him helping Popeye, him wanting to, he doesn't care about the baby. But then at the end, when the octopus is about to kill the baby, he saves the baby. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you do? Throw him at uh, it. I, I think it's just the end. Or, the, or when he throws the can of spinach at Popeye and he actually hits Robin Williams in the head and the production has to go down, has to delay weeks. for several weeks because he got stitches. I read that. That was awesome. Good job, Ray. 
<laughs> but I was like, seven for weeks? That can't just be a random cut. Yeah, that he must have been really injured. <laughs> like several weeks just for a couple stitches? I mean, I know it's 1980, but come on. Yeah. And he was wearing the hat over his head, so you couldn't even you could Something hide it. Something happened. Yeah. <laughs> that was bad. Yeah. The same thing with the end, although the end gets a little bit better. The spinach comes out at the very, very end. So too close to the end. Should have been a little earlier. And I feel like the buildup to him becoming Popeye is really hidden by the water. I don't know if I liked that bubbling water kind of You mean thing. when he's underneath? Yeah. Oh, when Pluto does the thing where he puts the, when the hand comes up, the arm comes up and punches him? The arm just comes up and punches him. It's yeah. just like, once they get to the, the they all call it Devil's Island. Is that, what do they call it? Skull I, Island or something? I don't remember, yeah. Once they get there, it it comes really quick. The ending just really happens. But you and, don't give him his. Da -da 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 I don't. They feel, do. They they kind of, but it's like so. They go like da -da 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 -da, and then like another tune plays, and it's like then the water starts coming, and you don't get to see him really kind of like. Well, he does. Like, he does he the thing where he, when he goes. Uh, he goes to the octopus and punches the. He octopus. He does do the octopus yeah. with the spinning arms and everything, right. but it's all underwater. It's all little. I felt underwhelming. I feel like the whole movie should have been leading up to the spinach moment. It does. It, just doesn't, it felt, doesn't hit for you. I, I felt like I was like underwhelmed by the spinach moment. Sure. I mean, they reference the spinach when he first goes into town to buy. He wants to buy the, the carrots. spinach was like 10 cents. Yeah. And he's like, no. Nah, yeah. yeah. And they, then they reference it again when he sees Poop Deck Pappy. I'm going to keep saying this. Again. When they see Poop <laughs> Deck Pappy and they talk about the spinach again there. Right. And then, but that's towards the end. So you're right. So it doesn't really come into play there. I guess the spinach aspect wasn't put, was put into the comma strip later. Yeah. Didn't happen when it first started. So he always was strong, but he wasn't like super strong. I was put in later. So maybe that was what they were trying to do there in terms of not have it, not include it. I'm know, okay you know. with it only happening once, but right. it just should have been a bigger moment. Mm -hmm. That's my only thing. I was very underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Butler, your opinion of the film was on par with, like I talked about how, you know, the reaction of, of everybody uh, the about this movie. Then, yeah. This movie was so bad that it left Altman unemployable for a decade and he had to go to Paris to make micro budget films. So, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 you know, you're pretty much on target there with your criticism. But there is a Blu-ray. Came out 2020 for its 40th anniversary. So if you're interested. Go ahead and pick it up, guys. <laughs> Tell me how it is. I did, There's a couple of things I like. about. I mean, obviously the set's amazing. There's a couple of lines I really like. I like the dad's whole, you owe me an apology, you owe me an apology. But I like it. I mean, I absolutely hated it until toward the end when he goes, I think we owe an apology. <laughs> and like his line, she's like, all right, that's leading up to something. Mm -hmm. I also like, if my mom caught me here, she'd kill me. Oh, there's mom. When they go into the race, the uh, race to the betting house. Oh, right. Yeah. The, uh, the caster. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know, speaking of the mom, so the name of the character is Nana Oil, and that is a play on the uh, a 1920s to 30s comment that people would say would be like, ah, oh, banana oil. And that was, which is supposed to express disbelief, like saying, yeah, right. Right. So I think we should bring that back. I think we should start saying all oh, banana oil. Ah, oh, banana oil. <laughs> <laughs> the depression happens. And what does he do? He, <laughs> he doesn't eat his spinach. Uh, that was a meat pop. That was Coolidge. <laughs> oh, that was a good line, sir. Do you think that was an ad lib by Williams? Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. That was too good to be on par with the rest of the lines. <laughs> <laughs> so would you have preferred Popeye to be played by Dustin Hoffman or Olive Oil to be played by Lily Tomlin? 
Uh, I was when I read Lily Thelma. I was like, ooh, interesting. I like Shelley Duvall here. I think she's a great olive oil, and I think she's got the look. Do you think she's almost perfect as olive oil? I do. Yeah. I think that Lily Tomlin, I would have been interested to watch. Like Shelley Duvall, I just think hits all the right notes and has the look. Just she just looks with her kind of like lanky figure, looks like olive oil, and plays her very very well. Would you like Gilda Radner as olive oil? Because that was the producers wanted Gilda Radner, but all been all been held out for Duvall. I would have also been very interested in that. Although again. Shelly Duvall just looks like olive oil. I think Shelly Duvall is pretty much made to play olive oil. Right. Well, Radner, uh, Radner turned it down because uh, her agent was wary of having her spend. And this is essentially, this was shot from January to June this in 1980. Movie. So it was like four or five months. And he was wary of having her on set for four or five months with uh, Evans, who was, you know, uh, had some stories about him. And Auburn, who also had, you know, stories as well. Right. You know, and that probably held out true because... Uh, <laughs> Because Evans was arrested uh, during the production of this movie for trying to buy cocaine. So, so yeah. you know, I mean, that could have probably been for a couple of people on the set. <laughs> I mean, it's good good that the producers, uh, the agent was looking out for her. Well, that's a job. You don't hear that very often. And she was like uh, pretty much a superstar at this point coming from SNL. So yeah, she could do just right at yeah. SNL. Uh, I would have been more interested to see what Dustin Hoffman would have done with Popeye. It would have been a different film. But it would have been so different. And I think Robin Williams, I mean, if Robin Williams wasn't in this, let's be honest, I would I would have probably turned well, this, this off. I wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not going to say that this made him a star, but this helped. This and Mork and Mindy. It's coming right off of Mork and Mindy, yeah. Yeah, this kind of set. I mean, and he's, he's not want to say he's perfect, but he's well cast. He's, he's definitely. Oh, he does the voice well yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's got the mannerisms down. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. I just don't think that the movie was strong enough for him. Mm -hmm. And maybe he, maybe he did go a little too hard on the stuttering because it is kind of hard to understand. Even with the dub, it's just kind of like, no, there was, it was, I was having a, I think one of my note was that I was having a hard time. His speech patterns were distracting me because I didn't understand what he was saying. And they were adding like, cause he was like, cause he can't, cause Popeye never can speak. Right. I guess perfect English, if you will. But it, it, his, the way he was speaking was very distracting. And I didn't understand what was happening at times. There's also a lot of times where he's trying to speak and you're trying to hear what Popeye's saying at the same time other people are talking. And they're all talking so fast and over each other. And again, I get that it's absurdist and that's what they're going for. But this isn't a complete absurdist film. You're not watching a David Lynch. David Lynch's Popeye. Mm -hmm. um, however, that is what it seems like for the first 35 minutes of the movie. And it's hard to catch on because it doesn't have a story for the first 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a story until Sweet Pea appears and Olive Oil has to make a choice on if she's going to stay with Pluto. Mm -hmm. Nothing else really contributes to the story. You have Popeye says 10 minutes earlier, I'm looking for my dad, but he's not really looking for his dad. Mm -hmm. No, in no scene is he asking about him or anything like that. He's just in these weird different situations and it's just situation after situation. I found it interesting that they give this really long monologue to Walston at the end of the movie uh, when they first, when he, I guess when they first meet, the father and son meet, they give him this monologue. Where they're on the boat yeah. going toward and he's talking about in, being a dad. Yeah, and in the middle of this whole thing. It's like, okay, it's it's nice. He's not the lead. You know, the monologue should, if you're going to give a monologue to somebody, if you're going to in a kid's movie, why are you not giving it to your lead? Yeah. And the monologue is all about how being a father is awful because kids are bad. Yeah. But also, he abandoned Popeye at two years old. 
Do you think that they didn't give him all the toys in the world and all the stuff he talks about that ever happened? Do you think that monologue is a monologue because Wilson couldn't sing and it was going to be a song and they decided to have to do spoken word? Oh, sure. Maybe. Yeah. Where Harry Nelson just couldn't figure out the song for it because the songs are terrible. Like, I, I honestly, it's really lazy. I, I, I don't like the songs. Really? I don't. I think the songs are all very lazily written. I don't think that's <laughs> true. I, I kind of, I'll disagree with that note respectfully. <laughs> I, th- I think they're just, I don't think they're lazily written. I think they're, uh, they're a stylistic choice. I think that's the style because all the songs are very similar. So I just think that's the stylistic choice that Nielsen took. And if you hear his other music is, I, he, there's not a lot of stuff where like, it's like this movie where everything's repeating and stuff like that. Right. I just think that that was a choice they made. Like they went out to Malta. Mm-hmm. They all went out to Malta and said that they had a recording studio built for them and then did all this stuff. I right. Mean, he stopped working on something on to do Papa. Own. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like he was phoning it in. So I don't know if they'd be lazy. I just think he was going for something, you know, and right. it, it, maybe it didn't work. No. Yeah. Right. That's, all. That's, what, that's what I think. I just I don't think it's lazy. But I don't think the dads. I think they just gave the dad a song because he's another main character who needs his own. Well, song they, I think well. there were there were there was definitely a studio, uh, you know, edict mm-hmm. to make this a musical. So put music in this film as much as possible. I right. think that was definitely on the docket for them. So I'm just wondering if the Walson monologue was meant to be a song and he was like, I can't sing. Oh, well, oh, well just, just do spoken word. Open music. <laughs> the content of the, of the musical would have, shouldn't have been, should have been different anyway. Yeah. It just didn't make a lot of sense. Well, maybe there was a song and they just didn't. And they opted for that. Maybe. maybe they, yeah. Maybe they, he had a song, but I mean like Shelley Duvall singing, uh, you talk about out of key, right? You know, who cares if Walson sounds terrible? He's going to sound true, like yeah. Popeye anyway. So who cares? Yeah. You get Popeye and uh, olive oil a duet. <laughs> <laughs> Sailor. Do. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> you're not, you're not wrong. So let me get to some reviews then. Uh, Roger Ebert gave this film three and a half out of four stars and said that Duval was born to play olive oil. And with, with Altman, with Popeye, Altman had proved, quote, it is possible to take the broad strokes of a comic strip and turn them into sophisticated entertainment. And I'm going to guess you disagree with that. Yes. Gene Siskel also gave it three and a half out of four, writing that the first 30 minutes were tedious and totally without a point of view. There you go, Butler. Yep. But once Sweepy was introduced, quote, then uh, that the film, quote, then became then becomes quite entertaining and in a few scenes, very special. I more agree with Siskel, but he gave it too high a score. Because <laughs> the first 30 minutes of your movie aren't good, and it's more like the first 40 minutes. Yeah. Then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's not good. And also the end is also a little bit of a letdown as well. So it's, it's a little bit of both, but I also read that, I guess the end is kind of crap because they ran out of money. Well, they ran out of set cost way too much. Well, that's why the octopus didn't work and you don't, you see it barely. They, you, they actually double up scenes with Duval because there's a moment where she's watching sweepy octopus, octopus tentacles are coming up and pulling their boat down and, and, you think that Sweepy's gone and they cut back to olive oil and she's like, oh no. But you see, if you look, you see a tentacle behind her. So that's from a different shot. So they definitely redid shots, reused shots, excuse me. Well, I also read that he ran out of money beforehand because he already went over budget. Yeah, so he ran said, over. Pack it up. What do you got? They ran over budget and ran over time and they were like, come home. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that's what happens. Uh, Leonard Malton described the picture as a bomb. 
uh, quote, E.C. Seeger's or Seeger's beloved sailorman boards a sinking ship in this astonishingly boring movie. A game cast does its best with a fun, funny script, cluttered staging and some alleged songs. Tune in a couple hours worth of, of Max Flesher's cartoons instead. You'll be much better off. Agreed. <laughs> also, how old is Leonard Malton? Old. I didn't think he was that old, but yeah. Riven Wasn't Papa, he in he uh, we, when we did the movie Death Trap with Film Trace, the Film Trace podcast, which is coming out soon? Wasn't he one of the critics? He was. So like between that and Popeye, I was like, because I read the Popeye thing too from him. I was just like, oh, he's way older well, than I thought he was. No, he's probably in his 80s right now. I, I didn't know he was on par in the same age as like Ebert and Siskel. Yeah. I thought he was like a generation after that. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they they, they were more, the but Malton and, and uh, Joel Siegel. We're like, we're like theater critics first. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get there. They were like on page like at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, one more butler for you. Vincent Canby of the New York Times called it a, quote, thoroughly charming, immensely appealing mess of a movie, often high spirited and witty, occasionally pretentious and flat, sometimes robustly funny and frequently unintelligible. It is, in short, a very mixed bag. <laughs> I mean, yes, but it's not highly. So you're saying it's a mixed bag, but you're looking, but you have a negative connotation on the movie. It's whereas a mixed some, bag and a bad Whereas yeah. some people and most of America think that, I'm just kidding, that think it's a mixed bag, but it's positive. So you do not see a, you don't have any kind of affinity towards it. And maybe that has to do with also, maybe, you know, you're younger, you didn't grow up with it. So that, that might be part of it too. I mean, I didn't grow for up these with people it, as well. Like I said, I grew up with movies of like the 70s and 80s, you know. But you I, tell me all the time when I'm critical of movies and you're like, hey, man, give me a break. I was eight when it came out and now you still love them. That's what I'm saying. Oh, to I you. get it. If that's why you like it, that's no, no, fine. No, no, that's that's not great. Why, I'm not that old. I'm saying, well, I am that old. But what I'm <laughs> saying is that why some of these by these people are saying that they kind of enjoyed it, even though they had the same sentiment that you had that it was mixed bag. It that's is. All. Yeah. It, it just. As a kid, the beginning is too boring. Mm-hmm. And then it picks up when the, the baby comes in and the, the slapstick comedy comes in. As opposed to the absurdist. If you wanted to go more absurd, go full David Lynch. Go crazy weird. Just go nuts. <laughs> yes, with this David thing. Lynch's Popeye. Give David Lynch a kids movie. Like, go for it. Um, uh, all those ears, ears been cut off. You just get, get more of that monkey, finds that it in monkey field. Netflix movie, which I also really like. Oh, I didn't watch that. <laughs> I didn't watch that. You might. Like, it's only like fifteen minutes long. It's, like, it's oh, good. So uh, to quote you, because so many things I need to watch. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, you fuck off. I've told you how many times to watch this stuff. <laughs> you never see, you never watch it. All right. Why are we saying this is forgotten? Uh, because it's bad. Oh, come on, that's not fair. You're not being fair. You're not being fair. You're not being fair. It's all right. So a movie like this, you're gonna like Annie. Yes. You, I heard before I ever saw Annie. I heard the music before I watched. The of movie. course. Whereas with Popeye, you're not going to hear the music first because the music is uh, either accidentally or purposely. You might hear he needs me. Weird. You might hear he needs me. I think I've yes. heard bits of that. I know I have heard bits of I am what I am. Well, you you, you know the original Popeye song everyone will. will Obviously uh, Popeye the Sailor Man. He needs heard. me. Maybe I am what I am. Yeah. But yeah. that's about it. Because I don't. All the other songs I just didn't remember. No, I guess there are three or four other songs I just didn't put in the movie too. Well, where are they going to fit them? Was it wimpy song? I like hamburger. Burgers, I wouldn't have mind a wimpy. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a oh, hamburger today. Awesome, I, yeah. I would have been okay with that song if he wasn't such a dick. Does in he the actually movie. say that line? Because I don't. Not, think I no, he, it. he no, he does say that line because he says it. He says it when he gets it from the chef in the calf in the morning because he goes. Okay, he says that, that to him. Yes. Okay. But yeah, no, that's his like big line. And yeah. like, uh, where's the? There should be a song around that. Yep. Yeah. So like you don't hear like there's a lot of music that you don't really hear mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, so there's nothing to really draw you into the movie. There's no really big stars. I mean, Shelley Duvall, but you're going to you think of The Shining when you think of Shelley Duvall. That's pretty much it. 
and then you think of Robin Williams is the only other really big star there. And if you're going to think of a kid's movie with Robin Williams, you're thinking of Hook, probably. Well, Hook's a better film. Uh, yeah. Or any of the other countless movies he's done. Um, and Patch if you're Adams. thinking of something even back then, <laughs> I've actually never seen Patch Adams. It's okay. Yeah. You're, you're okay if you don't see it. It's like, it's like uh, all right. Uh, but I think that, especially in 1980, if you think of Robin Williams back then, you're going to think of Mork and Mindy. Well, that's some of his thing, TV yeah. stuff back then. And his kind of stand up. Yeah. It, it's just tough to really like go to Popeye in general. Well, he would never, when he was alive, uh, he rest in peace. He would never talk about Popeye. He, well, he always, I guess would, he joked about he Popeye always would bring up Mork Popeye and Mork and Mindy complaining about him, but then he, but he, but he would say like, I don't want to talk about him, but then he would. So yeah. You know, who knows? Well, it's like Tom Mork Hanks made him disavowing all his earlier comedy stuff, all of his comedy, which is yeah. stupid. I mean, come on. I mean, I get it. Splash is problematic, but the money pits fun. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that hurts it. I think the fact that Popeye in of itself is an older cartoon. I don't think a lot of like, have your kids ever watched a Popeye? No, cartoon? there's a definite disconnect with the Popeye IP <laughs> and, uh, now. And that's only because there's whether a level of interest for people to do it in terms of like for a studio to come out with it again right. or somebody to do another cartoon because Scooby-Doo is old and Scooby-Doo keeps coming out. That's because true. Because the IP is strong because it proves well. I think Popeye... Is it the Prussian era comic? It's very, it's very tough to just explain that. Like, why is Popeye so? Why is everyone so poor? Like, you know, <laughs> why I mean, is Popeye so gr dumb? Granted, inflation is like up it's through the roof now. Maybe you could bring Popeye back for twenty twenty two. But I, I think that there's, there's definitely you would have to introduce Popeye again. I know there was a movie a while ago that came out. I can't remember when, but there was something that came out. A while, like twenty years ago, maybe there was a long time yeah. ago. Something it, it would have to be reborn again and have to be re recreated, rebooted, if you will. Just just changed, like stuff would just have to be straight up changed, right? To kind of bring Popeye's work. character back again. But like, can you really? Can kids really relate to a Sailor Man? Like now, like like it would just be difficult to do. And maybe that's then listen. Some stuff is of the age, and maybe Popeye will just be a historical comic that in and of its time that's where it it thrived and it worked, it, yeah yeah and and that's it we move on i mean that's that's pretty much sometimes that happens i mean that's not a bad thing it's just it is what it is he says he because he is i am what, what i am, I am. Exactly. <laughs> exactly i i think you're right though i think part part of what i just said is probably goes into why it's forgotten um i think because it's not i think you know you want to show kids kids films you're really not going to show them popeye because Popeye doesn't feel like a kid's film like yep. we just talked about so it's not a film that's going to get replayed for people. It's a film that people like us who maybe watch films or grew up with it. Oh, I remember watching Papa. Let's watch it again. You might introduce it, but I think you're right. I think it's forgotten for a lot of valid reasons. And I really don't know if it would ever come back to in, into like, you know, the general pop culture. Yeah. No. Unless somebody reimagines the entire thing. I mean, what would you like? Again, he wouldn't be a salesman anymore. He'd be something else. Like, you know, like Papa, the interior decorator. I don't know. Like he'd be just like, you know, <laughs> I feel like you could still make him a sailor. I just make don't. Him a fisherman. It's not. That's not really like his outfit. It had to change though. Couldn't have the pipe. Definitely can't have the pipe anymore. When he comes, when so in the so he's wearing the raincoat in the beginning mm -hmm. because they're hiding his arms because they didn't have the arms ready yet. Yeah, which they I thought the arms in the looked good. The arms look good. There was one moment where he raises them up where I could see where they were connected. Yeah, but other than that, they were good looking. Arms. But when he gets off the dock and he's wearing the raincoat, I'm thinking like I know, I know what you did last summer. Like I'm thinking that. <laughs> 
which I would have been all right with. <laughs> Papa just starts killing people. Ham gravy comes up going, hey, and he's just like, puts a hook in his head. Yeah, that would have been great. That would be a good movie. There we go. Popeye's a horror. Popeye's a horror movie? There we do. We rebooted as Popeye's a horror. You got to wait. Wait till the rights expire. I'm on it. Oh, like the Winnie the Pooh. Like the Winnie the Pooh horror movie that's coming out. That's so stupid. That's so just like, come on. It's like, you better be really good because you all you've got going for yourself right now is the shtick that it's Winnie the Pooh. That's right. Have you seen the two screenshots that came out? It's it look, they look terrible. They it's look terrible. Ugh, anyways, mm-hmm. right, where, where can people find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Uh, while you're there, check out all the other great podcasts and shows we got for you there. Uh, you can also find us all over the social medias. Uh Check us out on the lobby. Did you blank on that. Forgotten Cinema is the lobby, uh, where you can hear us talk about all the things. What do you guys think of Popeye? I'm sure all you guys loved it. Uh, so you can talk to us about it there. Uh, and uh, again, you can also listen to us on any podcast platform you're on. You listen to us right now, so why don't you give us a like, review, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. All right, and then uh, join us next week for I don't know because I didn't look it up while Butler was. Oh, right. Hang on. And join us next week where we're uh, going back to that, going back, going forward, 2007 for the movie Eastern Promises, a gangster film that Butler's never seen, mm-hmm. uh, directed by David Cronenberg, written by Stephen Knight. So let's see if Butler's into this. I do like Cronenberg and Stephen Knight. Right? And Viggo Mortensen. That's right. Viggo Mortensen's in this. That's right. And so is Naomi Watts. So, and a lot of nudity. Male nudity. Oh, yeah. Get ready. <laughs> Get ready for you seeing Viggo Mortensen like you've never seen him before. <laughs> Aragon's true <laughs> sword. <laughs> uh, next week. By the way, I think it's forgotten. I'll tell you why it's not forgotten, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I am what I am, Field. <laughs> Podcast takes a turn. Probably get more views that way, Butler. So maybe you should come out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, That's next week. Eastern Promises. Until then, have a great week, everyone. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Elise. Host of Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise. A podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every Friday, we choose a new craft beer from a different brewery and talk about... The history of the beer. What's in it. How it was made. The history of the brewery. Along with tasting notes and more fun facts. After that, come chill with us as we bring you the latest in pop culture news and reviews. So check out Crackin' One Open, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.